Well, good morning. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Grace Christian Fellowship. Welcome to you again, more formally, and especially if perhaps you are worshiping with us maybe for the first time today. We're glad that you are here, and so a special welcome for you. We'd, uh, it's an honor that you're here. We see that. We see you um, in, in that way, and trust that the Lord will really minister to your heart uh, today. Welcome to those who are uh, watching online as well. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark as we continue in our series, walking our way, uh, slowly walking, I suppose, through the book of Mark. Although today in our text, Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 29, we're going to handle a little bit bigger chunk. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 29, and I'll be reading through the end of the chapter through verse 45. If you're able to, please stand as I read Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Join me in prayer. Our great God and heavenly Father, we ask now because we are needy that your grace would be upon us as we turn our attention to your word. Help us, Lord, to pay attention. Our minds are prone to wander. Our stomachs are prone to growl. Maybe we're restless this morning, even sitting in our chair. So God, we need grace. We need your grace. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, soft hearts to receive your word, and ultimately to obey. Father, I, I sense my own weakness. Your people need to be fed. So I've got, well, I've got a few dead words on paper that I need you to breathe life into. 
So be pleased to do that. Feed us all, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Is anything too hard for Jesus? I mean, if we're honest, many things in our world seem to be global conflict that never seems to stop without any end, diseases that in some parts of the world ravage entire villages, atrocities committed by human beings against a fellow human being. I mean, these things are are clearly too hard for, for us, mere mortals, even on our best of days. But are these the sorts of things that maybe are even too hard for Jesus to deal with? And I wonder if perhaps you've ever wondered if maybe you are too hard for Jesus to deal with. Perhaps you've already put something in that category of too hard for Jesus. My marriage, my kids, complicated friendship, maybe it is a sickness, persistent loneliness, a gnawing sense that you never measure up. What, what is it that perhaps you have put in that category of too hard for Jesus? Maybe it's, maybe it's your sins. Or perhaps it's not all your sins. That might be overwhelming. It's just that one, the one that you've sought counsel for, the one that you've prayed about, the one that you've encouraged others to pray about, the one that you still struggle with. Is, is that too hard for, for Jesus? I think if you've been a disciple, if you've been seeking to follow Jesus, even just for a short time, you likely have put something in that category of too hard for Jesus. I've seen him work in this area. I've seen him do some great things for other people. I've seen him even work in my life here, but that, that might be too hard for him. And so we ask, well, is is anything too hard for Jesus? Well, of course, the, the right answer the Sunday school answer, the, the church answer, the Bible's answer, Scripture's answer is, is no. Nothing is too hard for Jesus. But that doesn't mean we don't doubt. That doesn't mean we don't question sometimes. That doesn't mean we don't waver sometimes and almost feel like we're, we're teetering a little bit on the brink. It's specifically in those times that we really need to see Jesus. We need to see a bigger vision of Jesus. We need to see this Jesus that Mark shows us is on the move. Jesus in action. Last week we saw how Jesus has the very authority of God and possesses that authority of God in his divine teaching. And this week Mark shows us that Jesus wields that very same authority, the authority of God, in his and through his divine healings. And so Mark gives us three examples to remind us, to show us that nothing is too hard for Jesus. Not a sick mother-in-law, not a whole bunch of people who are suffering, afflicted with diseases and even evil spirits, not even a man whose life was ravaged with leprosy. Nothing's too hard for Jesus. 
What's interesting is that everybody we meet here in this text this morning was suffering in some way. They had some sickness, some illness. Maybe they were still sinning. They were weak. They were afflicted. They were people in need of hope. They were people in need of help. They were people like us. They needed Jesus. So Mark reminds us here of what King Jesus can actually do for people who are suffering, for people who are sick, for people who are afflicted, and you don't have to raise your hand, but that's all of us in some way. So what can Jesus do for people like us? Well, he can do three things. Number one, Jesus can make you whole. Jesus can make you whole. This is verses 29 through 31. And immediately he, that is Jesus, left the synagogue, entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Was anything too hard for Jesus? Some of you said, well, yeah, maybe my mother-in-law. You don't know her. Jesus doesn't know her either. Well, Jesus here is unfazed by mother-in-laws, and particularly here even a very sick mother-in-law. And so here we find Jesus in really one of those run-of-the-mill, even ordinary situations that take place all around us. And yet if you're the person that's involved in that, it's a major, major crisis. And so Jesus barely steps foot into this house And he's informed that Simon Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and she is sick with a fever. Now, Mark doesn't give us a whole lot of other details. That's in typical Markan fashion. But the sense here is that this fever is debilitating. It's of such a uh, drastic nature that Simon Peter's mother-in-law is not who she is supposed to be. She's sick debilitated, unable to care for herself, unable to serve or care for others. So in that moment, she's, she's an invalid. She, her life has become fruitless and hopeless because she can't be who she wants to be. She can't do what perhaps even God has called her to do. She really can't use her gifts and talents and abilities. And Jesus sees this suffering woman in front of her, in front of him. And notice what Jesus, notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't just start peppering her with questions. How'd you get sick? Who do you think you got that from? Are you involved in some bad stuff? Is this a result of your sins? He doesn't do that. Nor does he begin to cast some spells on her or rituals or incantations, none of that happens. Jesus goes to where Simon Peter's mother-in-law is. He, she's laying in bed, he takes her by the hand, brings her to her feet, and immediately she regains strength and her fever disappeared. And just in case we're maybe a little bit skeptical and we read, well, maybe, maybe the role of Jesus there was just to kind of get the, the healing started Kind of got that ball rolling, that's good, it's important that Jesus did that, but obviously they're, they're going to take her to a doctor the next day, that would be the wise thing to do. 
Or at the very least, she probably needs 48 to 72 hours of bed rest. Mark records that the touch of Jesus was so powerful and her healing so complete that she immediately got up and began to serve those around her. Now, which is more miraculous? Jesus, with a touch, heals her instantly, or this mother-in-law gets up and she's healed and she starts serving dinner to those guys? I mean, I think the answer is both. Is anything too hard for Jesus? No. And so we see here, don't we, his great compassion, that, that personal touch. Jesus restores Peter's mother-in-law to, to full health. He's restored her to, to what she was meant to be, to, to who she was meant to be. A whole, a healthy woman now once again able to use the gifts, the talents, the abilities that God has given her to, to minister to others, to serve others, to, yes, to, in that part, to fulfill her purpose in life. It's an incredible scene. This would be among the many places I think you'd want to kind of put yourself in there if, for no other reason, if you're hungry, because she's going to serve you something to eat. But it's amazing. If you knew her before, and then suddenly, Jesus has just healed her. And what we get here, brothers and sisters, is a, a brief glimpse of what will happen when the kingdom of God comes in its final form when Jesus Christ returns. So Mark helps us to, to say, well, what happened there? That actually points to something deeper, something bigger, something even more profound. That John speaks of in Revelation 21, 4, verse 5, he that is the ruling and reigning Jesus Christ will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Now, we don't see that fully this side of eternity. But in King Jesus, we begin to see that reversal is taking place. It's already begun. This is what life is like in the kingdom of God. This is what life will be like for all eternity. Jesus will ensure that it happens. But in order for you and I to enjoy that life, you have to know the king. You have to belong to the king. The king must touch your life because only the king can make you whole. Is anything too hard for Jesus? Well, not a sick and suffering and debilitated mother-in-law. What else can Jesus do? Number two, Jesus can make you well. He can make you well, verses 32 through 34. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So much for healing Simon Peter's mother-in-law and just resting. 
that's good, I'm good, let's just have a nice, enjoying, relaxing evening at home. That's not at all what happened, is it? Jesus' fame is spreading. No doubt people in the town had heard of what he had just done for Simon Peter's mother-in-law. It also was now the day after the Sabbath, so the Jewish day was measured from sunset to sundown. And so it's actually not surprising here that we read as soon as it became uh, sundown and it wasn't the Sabbath anymore, Simon Peter's house or his mother-in-law's house became like an ER clinic where, where everybody in town is flocking to this house because they're sick, because they are oppressed by demons. These townspeople knew enough to know that they can't go to their religious leaders on the Sabbath. They're going to get in trouble. So will the religious leaders? They're just not willing to do that. And so it's almost like they're waiting, watching the clock. Is it sundown? Is it sundown? It is. Now go. Make a beeline to Simon Peter's house because stuff happens there. Because Jesus is there. Because Jesus can heal. Because Jesus can make you well. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus healed those who were sick. And he drove out the demons from those who were oppressed, even silencing the demons so that they wouldn't cause him any more conflict and that they wouldn't cause confusion for these people who were gathered there. Now, once again, what do we see here? Well, certainly we see the great compassion of Jesus for suffering people, for sick people. I mean, clearly... Some bit of suffering or misery or affliction in your life is not a disqualifier for you to be helped by Jesus. Not at all. And so Mark's point here is it's not just to show us that Jesus has authority to heal. He does. It's not just to show us that Jesus has compassion, off the charts, compassion for suffering people. He does indeed. He's got both. But Mark simply shows us here that Sick people, suffering people, those who are afflicted, those who are in need, have a friend in Jesus. They have an advocate in Jesus. They have have someone to turn to because Jesus can make them well. Jesus can make you well. He can make you spiritually well when you are spiritually sick. In fact, Jesus... Is the compassionate king who can actually make spiritually dead people alive. And if Jesus can do that, is anything too hard for him? Now, you might hear this, you might read this and think, you know, I know of loved ones, maybe family members who have been sick, been struggling. They live daily with some bit of affliction. They haven't been healed. They've prayed, you've prayed, a lot of people have prayed, and yet the sickness remains, and the suffering remains. You you might also know or certainly have heard of maybe friends of yours who who just seem to pray the sickness away with enough faith. So how are we to think about the sorts of miracles and the divine healings that we read about here in Mark? We're going to look at a whole lot of them. This is just the beginning here. But how are we to think about these sorts of divine healings and miracles that we read about here in Mark? How do we think about that in our day? I think there are two extremes, both of them wrong, as as we think about healing and divine healing. One of them is simply a lack of faith that God can do that. A lack of faith that 
God actually still does miraculously heal today. So it's a lack of faith, lack of belief that God can do what science can't do. That God can do what technology can't do. That God can do what even the best doctors and the wisest of physicians can't do. That God can do the impossible if he so desires. So that same spirit who healed then is is the same spirit today. Sometimes it's easy, I think, we read that and we look back and we think, well, they they must have had like more of the Holy Spirit. Like there was 100% of the spirit then and we sort of get the leftovers in our day. That's not true at all. Jesus, in fact, told his disciples that they would be able to do even greater works than he did because, precisely because, of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, John 14, 12. It's a lack of faith on the one hand. The other extreme is the insistence that, well, God will always heal those provided they have enough faith. And so the the impetus or the prerogative for healing is you having enough faith faith. Now, to be sure, sometimes, and we'll look at this in the months ahead, Mark chapter 6 as an example, sometimes faith is, in fact, the prerequisite for healing. But brothers and sisters, there's no biblical evidence to suggest that God always provides physical healing based on your response to faith or of faith. The truth is, and you well know this, that God oftentimes takes us through trials and sufferings and afflictions in order to produce produce even greater dependence on him, to produce greater maturity, greater trust, growth in grace. Even the godliest of Christians will die at some point, whether of just old age or disease. So for many ultimate physical healing will only come when they see Jesus face to face. But it will come. And so until that point, don't lose hope. Don't allow your heart to grow cynical, cold, or hardened towards him. Ultimately, this whole category of miraculous healings or, or divine healings, that is in the prerogative and the divine purposes of God. And so what is our response? As you pray, perhaps, for loved ones for healing. Well, this is where we learn as disciples. This does not come naturally. But this is where we we learn to pray the kinds of prayers that Jesus, in fact, taught his disciples to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. But it's really the disciples' prayer. And particularly, we're learning to pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Not what I think is best, but what you know is best. We're all learning to pray that prayer. Jesus can make you well. Jesus can make you whole. If you look down with me at verses 35 through 39, These verses that follow actually bring us into the early hours of the next day. Humanly speaking, what an exhausting day for Jesus. But notice what Jesus is doing. Before anyone else is stirred in the house, everybody's snoring. 
Jesus retreats to a quiet place to pray. I find that incredibly fascinating and hard. I don't know about you, but when I'm weary, when I'm exhausted, that's really hard to pray. I don't naturally turn to pray sometimes in those moments. The the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. And yet here we find Jesus is not too tired. He's not too busy to pray. His spirit was willing. His flesh was not weak. And so he's spending time in solitude, in communion with God the Father. And notice what happened. His prayer is interrupted. It's not interrupted by the crowds. No. It's not interrupted even by the religious leaders who are looking to pick a fight. This time, Jesus' sweet communion with God the Father is interrupted by his disciples who are actually none too pleased that Jesus is praying. Simon Peter, verse 37, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. Now that phrase there is is actually much stronger in the original language. It has the sense of, of being hunted down, of being tracked, almost to the point of being stalked. So in this case, it's Peter and the disciples who are hunting for Jesus. They are tracking him down. They're, they're stalking him. They don't understand why he's, why he's doing that, why he's spending time alone. And I happen to think it was probably because those other guys, the other disciples there, just said, Peter, you, you say something to him. You do it. I don't want to do it. And so Peter speaks up. He says, Jesus, Everyone is looking for you. In other words, what are you doing? we we got to capitalize. There are The crowds are loving you. This is the time to move. You are an influencer. You're it. You've generated buzz. Let's capitalize. Sometimes we, sometimes we're a whole lot more like Simon Peter than we think. We Sometimes we don't understand the ways of Jesus. Sometimes we wish Jesus would do certain things and he would do it now according to our timetable. Oftentimes we approach situations as if we see perfectly clearly, only to find out an hour later or a few days later or a week later that we didn't see that as clearly as we thought. And even more, have you ever faced that tendency to just wish that Jesus would do what you want him to do when you want him to do it. Do it now, Lord. And then perhaps face a lot of disappointment and discouragement when he doesn't. King Jesus here is not going to be deterred from his mission, from his purpose. And so he reminds these guys, his disciples, of his ultimate purpose. And the ultimate purpose of Jesus was actually not to heal every physical disease. Jesus says, verse 38, a reminder, guys, here's why I'm here. I'm here to preach. I'm here to herald. I'm here to proclaim the gospel of salvation for sinners. I'm here to give life to suffering people, people who otherwise would have no hope. It's a call. In fact, we we read it in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus is here to call people to repentance and submission to God's gracious rule and reign. Because he well understood that physical healing is of, of some value, but a right relationship with the God who created you 
has value for all eternity, not to mention both physical and spiritual wholeness. The crowds didn't understand that. These disciples of Jesus didn't fully grasp this either. It would, in fact, take a whole lot more time. It would take, specifically, more time spent with Jesus to fully grasp what he was all about, to fully understand his mission, the why, why he is doing certain things. And Jesus invites them to follow him. He essentially says, look, come with me. Watch me. I'm going to go preach in the next town. Walk with me. Spend time with me. I don't know of any other move when, when we wonder what Jesus is up to, when we question what he's up to, our default says, I'm just going to back away. But instead of that, spend time with him, listening to him in his word, in prayer, with other believers. You're, you're not going to regret spending time with Jesus this week. You won't. And I think you, you can tell a person, can't you? you? You can tell someone who spent considerable time with Jesus. I have a friend, I don't see him hardly at all, lives a long way away, but the, the very few occasions that we might be able to spend some time together in person, nine times out of ten, I kind of leave that conversation thinking, there's someone who spent a lot of time with Jesus. See it on his face. You can hear it in his words in his response, or lack of response, in his listening. You can tell a person who's spent time with Jesus. I, I pray that you would know those sorts of people in your home group, that, and I know there are people here. As I look out at you, you spent time with Jesus. You ought to be able to see that in me, in Pastor Paul. These are guys that, they're spending time with Jesus. You want to be those sorts of people. Jesus can make you whole. Jesus can make you well. And third, for suffering and afflicted people, Jesus can make you clean. Jesus can make you clean, verses 40 through 42. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling to him said, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. And he said to him, I will. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Leprosy was one of the most, if not the most, feared diseases in the world of the New Testament. Uh, the word for leprosy here actually covers a whole multitude of, of awful, awful skin diseases. I'm, I'm not actually going to take the time. You can read about it later. But even if I had time, I wouldn't take the time to, to walk through all of the the deformities, the, the, uh, the, the severities, what exactly happens to the skin on the body due to leprosy. It's awful. It's horrific. The physical deformities were, were far so, much more severe than, than anything that you would see in, a, in, in like a horror movie. Even more degrading than the physical, which everybody could see, was, was the, the shunning the ostracism, the outright scorn and ridicule that a leper would face. Lepers were outcasts. 
They were mocked. They were ridiculed. They were separated from home and family. A leper had to stay 50 paces from the nearest person. So they're not just physically unclean and grotesque to look at, but they were considered ceremonially unclean. And so in our words, leopards were damaged goods. They don't fit in anywhere. They're unfit for society. They're unfit to live. Jewish historian Josephus said a leper was in no way different from a corpse. So in first century Palestine, lepers were confined to a living death. And there were no more terrible words to hear than unclean, which is exactly what every leper would shout whenever he was anywhere near people. Unclean, unclean, I'm unclean. Other illnesses, well, they could be healed. But leprosy had to be both healed and cleansed. It it makes it all the more remarkable, doesn't it, that this leper actually came to Jesus. I mean, he's violating a whole bunch of laws, which apparently he didn't really care too much about, in coming to Jesus, in turning to Jesus. And what's remarkable is what Jesus did. Jesus was so moved with compassion, where there's pity, that he did something remarkable. He reached out and touched this leper. Talk about mind-blowing, earth-shattering. The untouchable gets touched. And again, according to the Old Testament law, the uncleanness of leprosy was contagious. So if a leper touches you or if you touch a leper, guess what's just happened? You're now unclean. And you're going to pass that on to everyone. It was defiling. Unclean plus unclean equals unclean. But in the kingdom of God, with Jesus as king, there's a new equation. Unclean, touching clean, equals clean. Forever. With Jesus, defilement is no longer contagious. In fact, with Jesus, his His purity, in that sense, is contagious. Jesus cleansed someone who could not be cleansed. Is anything too hard for Jesus? Now, as you well know, he could have just spoken a word. Say the word, Jesus, and leper would be cleansed. But he didn't do that, did he? You wonder why? Well, I think, again, it's to show the immeasurable compassion of this king. Jesus is not an ordinary guy. He's not an ordinary king. This Jesus is the one who sees suffering people and afflicted people. And he's moved with compassion. And yes, he's he's not concerned about being defiled. He's not concerned that Your sins or struggles will pollute him. In fact, it's the other way around. King Jesus is not polluted by the leper's disease. Instead, the leper is cleansed by the gracious and compassionate touch 
of the king. Notice again that Jesus doesn't condemn this leper, does he? I don't know about you, but it would have been really hard if you're in that situation not to ask a couple questions like, man, what have you been into? What kind of dark, sadistic stuff have you been into that caused this? No, Jesus simply touches this leprous man, essentially saying, I'm going to take your leprosy in return. I'm going to remove the curse. I'm going to take away your shame. I'm going to take away your defilement. Yes, I am willing. I can make you clean. Either Jesus is who he said he is, or he is nuts. And he should not be followed. And we should not worship him as king. Jesus can make you clean. But like this leper, you need to understand three things. Number one, you're not clean. Number two, you can be clean. And number three, you need to come to the one who can make you clean. Nobody needed to remind this leper of his uncleanness. Nobody needed to tell him of his need to be clean. And brothers and sisters, our sins, they've made all of us spiritually unclean. We are the lepers. But it's increasingly rare to find the man or woman who actually acknowledges, I am that spiritual leper. I am unclean. This leper had enough faith in King Jesus to, to know that he could be made clean, that, that he didn't have to remain defiled. Do you? I mean, it's a good start to recognize that you're not spiritually clean. It's a, a good start to recognize that you need the touch of Jesus. But do you actually realize that you can be made spiritually clean? You don't have to wait next week till you reach a certain age or spiritual maturity. You can be made spiritually clean today. This leper turned to the only person who could actually make him clean. He turned to Jesus. We must do the same. Jesus is willing. Jesus is able. Jesus can make you clean. Why? Because nothing's too hard for him. Not even going to the cross, suffering a brutal crucifixion, putting all of your sins and mine on him, past, present, and future, dying on the cross. Not even being raised three days later to glorious new life, defeating sin, death, and Satan. Not even that the fact that Jesus is coming again one day and, and what we get a glimpse of here in Mark, of the coming kingdom of God, will eventually one day Jesus will come and make everything right. None of that is too hard for Jesus. So is anything too hard for him? Jesus can make you clean, but you must turn to him. Turn to him in repentance and faith. The beauty of the gospel is that we, we now have a new equation, don't we? Unclean, that's us. 
plus clean, that's Jesus, makes us clean for all eternity. We'll close with this, the response of the man who had just been healed of his leprosy. It's believable, even if it was <laughs> sinful. Verse 43, I mean, Jesus sternly tells this guy, this leper, don't say a word. Keep your mouth shut. And what does this man do? The exact opposite. He doesn't listen. Instead, he wanders into town and he starts talking to everyone about this miraculous healing. Everything that Jesus did. And if we read that and we think, that seems odd. That's weird. Why would Jesus give this instruction? It's like Jesus has said, look, I'm going to totally change your life. I'm going I'm to uh, heal you so that you can begin to live the life that you started to live. But you can't tell anybody. I mean, what kind of evangelism strategy is that? <laughs> Seems poor. And we might think, what's the big deal? Isn't this a good kind of publicity that would maybe help Jesus in his mission? Well, Jesus here is not, he's not looking for publicity, nor, nor is he actually looking for help. So what's going on here is what New Testament scholars refer to as the messianic secret, which we're going to be looking at more. and We're going to see this as Mark describes it here. There's all kinds of occasions here where Jesus will do something miraculous, like a healing, and then he'll say, don't tell anybody. Keep this quiet. What's going on here? Why? Well, the reason Jesus didn't want this man to speak was because Jesus knew how easily this miracle, and frankly, all of his miracles, could be misunderstood. Yeah, he could win a crowd. People would flock to him. Many did. Many would be interested in Jesus. He's, he's got the buzz. He's the it thing or the it person. But very few would actually follow him as his disciples. Very few, in fact, would actually bend the knee to him. Say, I believe that you are my king. I'm submitting under your gracious rule and reign. So Jesus here is not interested in putting on a show and attracting people. His mission was to preach and proclaim the gospel of salvation, to provide salvation for sinners. And so he simply wants to make sure that people are following him for the right reasons. Now as a result of what this leper did, verse 45, notice Jesus can no longer openly enter a town. He, he can no longer go into a town, but he is relegated to what? The, the lonely places, the desolate places, out on his own. What's happened here? Jesus and the leper have changed places. Jesus is, in a sense, now he's the outcast. He's the one that's unable to travel freely. Jesus is the one that's been relegated to the lonely places where nobody is. He, in one sense, he's been relegated to, to live as if he were a leper. And the leper that he just healed and cleansed, his life has dramatically changed. He can move freely about. He can do things that he never did before. He's now beginning to live the life that he was always meant to live. There we see the gospel, don't we? For our sakes, Jesus became 
a leper. He took our sins. He took our spiritual leprosy on himself. Died on the cross. Why? So that we might be set free. That we might actually begin to life that God had always created us to live. Is anything too hard for Jesus? Not a sick mother-in-law. Not people with diseases or evil spirits. Not disciples who didn't get it, who didn't understand the mission. Not even a man with leprosy who couldn't keep his mouth shut. Not your sins or mine. Not your struggles, your sickness, or your weakness. Jesus is the compassionate king. He can make you whole. He can make you well. He can make you clean. So whatever it is in your life today that you have put in that category, it's too hard, it's too painful, it's too messy. It might be all those things for you. But it is not too hard for Jesus. So turn to him today. Let's pray. Our great God and heavenly Father, once again we're confronted by our great need for you. Lord, if we've been tracking and paying attention and hopefully haven't completely tuned out, at the very least we've been confronted with a God who has compassion. So I pray, Lord, specifically for maybe those who are weary this morning, those who are in need of encouragement. Maybe, maybe there's some here who lack much hope at all that you would do a work in their life, that you would even care. God, speak to them, have mercy on them, comfort them, have your way with them. Lord, we need soft and sensitive hearts before you. Those don't come on our own. So may your Holy Spirit continue to do that work, I pray, in each heart this day. In Jesus' name, amen.